Hi, welcome back, and thanks for joining us again for Hogcast. I am Bob Jennings with the 442nd Public Affairs Office, and I'm joined by Major Shelley Eckleby and Brigadier General Steve Nasty Nestor. We have a lot of awesome things to talk about today and some really cool guests who are coming in later in the show to talk about what they did on their recent deployment. But before that, we're going to start off with the portion of the show we call Nasty Time, where General Nestor talks about the news of the month, a little bit about what's coming up in the next UTA, and also tries to teach us a thing or two about how to manage our career. So, without further ado, it's Nasty Time. Welcome to Podcast 2. Podcast 2. We heard really good feedback, and if it was bad, we, we didn't hear about it. So that's we, good. That or we just ignored it. <laughs> that or we ignored it. I still have my job, so um, <laughs> that's good. No, I got some interesting emails. Uh, I sent it out to a bunch of, of the retired 42nd through 3rd pilots, and I got some great feedback. They want more of that kind of thing, and they liked listening to the stories. And I got an interesting call from Lieutenant General Retired. Uh, Bradley, who was the 442nd Wing Commander years back and was the uh, Chief of the Air Force Reserve, and he really enjoyed listening to it. And after listening to it, he's like, you know, whatever I can do to help from my end, the 442nd Future Fighter Missions, let me know how I can help. So it was really cool to, to hear that. I reached out to him, and, and he listened to it, and, and he thought it was a good way to communicate with the, the airmen. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, absolutely. So today, um, we are going to be joined shortly by... Two individuals, we are calling them heroes, and they're going to remain anonymous for the entertain piece of this hogcast. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's cool. The, the pilots aren't smart enough to remain anom- anonymous, so uh, these guys uh, will talk about what they did over in Germany with the Ukraine uh, conflict, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to both of those guys here in a little bit. One thing that, what, in talking to General Bradley, we were talking about change and how change is difficult with folks, and I know there's a lot of consternation about future missions and and stuff, and he had mentioned when this wing moved from Richards Gebauer in Kansas City to Whiteman, uh, Ike Skelton had the idea to bring the 442nd down to Whiteman when the B-2 was going to come here, and then the 131st Guard unit from St. Louis and create a TFI base here. He said, we, you know, we kind of stiff-armed it a little bit, and he was frustrated with me because we kept pushing the date back. But if looking back on that decision, it was it was rough to go through as a unit. But after they went through that change, um, he said, yeah, we probably— might not have existed if we didn't move down here. It was probably uh, kept our future alive mm-hmm. and better uh, by moving down here uh, with uh, the B2 folks. And uh, so sometimes change is tough, right? Mm-hmm. But change can be, be healthy and create new opportunities for you. So that's what I want our airmen to look at in the future and, and all the consternation about uh, what could happen to this wing. Change could be a good thing too. Right. And I know, you know, we've talked a lot about it and we're trying our best to be transparent and these decisions are changing rapidly. Absolutely. We, we spoke with uh, Congressman Mike Alford uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it went really well, so well that he made an appointment to talk to uh, General Healy, and he's on the Armed Services Committee, so he, he talked to General Healy last week. I'm not sure how that went, but uh, he's very interested in the 442nd Fighter Wing. So we have folks out there fighting for you guys at the CODEL level, the Congressman mm-hmm. Senator level. Uh, Colonel Leonis and Colonel Oric and I are going to go to a, a dinner sponsored by a Missouri delegation of uh, politicians and folks for basing in Missouri on uh, March 20th over in Jeff City. So that'll be a good opportunity for us to kind of tell the story of the 442nd and what we've done in the last 20, 25 years in Afghanistan, Iraq, and all over the globe and what the people here could do with a future fighter mission because that's what it's all about. Uh, We have great people in this organization and we want to see them continue to do great things. 
Yeah, absolutely. So busy March UTA. I feel like yesterday was crazy. And so what, we're going to kind of highlight some of that and yeah, it, um, it what's kind of coming up. It was good. Yeah, we're just going to kind of wrap up the March UTA, some things that I left out in the previous podcast. And, and my next podcast, we'll, we'll do a precursor to the April UTA. So so okay. the March UTA was really cool. I went through this celebration of new chiefs last night at the officers club. And it was, a again, TFI, eight new chiefs on base. Four from the 509th, uh, three from the 442nd, uh, Chief Kimberly Hurt from Med Squadron, Chief Stephen Calhoun from uh, Munitions and Ammo, and uh, Chief Eric Harris, who's our yellow ribbon guy now, and he's going to go back to maintenance. But all three well-deserving of deployed with Senior Master Sergeant Calhoun several times, and uh, they all bring different uh, leadership abilities to the table at the 442nd. They'll make great chiefs. That was a great ceremony. Uh, really neat the way that they honored them uh, and they had a great speaker and it was good to attend that. Uh, so we also had uh, a really good change command yesterday with uh, Colonel Scott Sims and uh, in the 442nd uh, Operation Support Flight. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Hilkert took over for him uh, and what a good speech that Colonel Orrick gave. And uh, for those of you that don't know, the OSS is made up of folks that kind of support the flying operation over in the ops group, uh, Intel, aircrew flight equipment, and uh, uh, one Charlie Oscars and those folks that do the simulator stuff for him, Mike Sherman and Bump. And they all do a great job. And, and really the fighter squadron couldn't exist without the OSS. OSS. So that support staff over there is growing. Also, Cannon Range is part of the OSS. So we've taken Cannon Range over from the Guard, and they do great things down there. Our Lieutenant Colonel retired Mike Sadler is now straight civilian down there. His guys drove all the way up from Cannon for the change of command. Shows you what mm-hmm. kind of respect they had for Colonel Sims and incoming Colonel Hilkert. So yeah, it was really good to see all those guys again. It was cool. Yeah, the range is what like four hour four hours away. It's about three hour drive, and it's twenty minutes in an A ten, but three hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> so lucky. <laughs> so yeah, we took General Radliff down there last uh, UTA when he was here to see the range and meet those guys, and we're trying to really make that range more than just an A ten range. All right, we want it to be the B two has used it a little bit. We want to increase the airspace uh, for future missions of like fifth gen and tie in extra airspace. I know Colonel Sims has spoken with Kansas City airspace folks at the FAA, Kansas City Center folks about how do we increase our airspace to connect some of our military operating areas to our range space so that we can create uh, a bigger range for fifth gen and future missions. Tie it in with the B-2 would be outstanding. And the folks down at Fort Smith, Arkansas are getting a F-35, I believe, F-35 training for military sales training deal. So they'll need some airspace too. So we're kind of working through those things as well. And um, was it was it last year the 442nd CE guys went down and redid the JTAC deck? They did. They, they go down there a lot. So for those of you that don't know, I mean, CE, uh, part of what I want to innovate is creating a flexibility of service. And, and CE was one of the first units that jumped on that. And so they created quarterly UTA. So they do, let's say January through March, they, they don't do a UTA in January. They do a two-day UTA in February and a four-day UTA in March. And their, their members like it. And then uh, during their four-day UTA, they can go to places like Cannon Range and work with heavy equipment and stuff that they need to do for some training. Uh, and it's worked out really well. Their commander, uh, John Riker, is awesome mm-hmm. uh, CE commander. Yeah. They've done some good stuff. So, uh, yeah, we want to keep that range. We want to we use it for a lot of other things just than uh, uh, A-10 strafing and, and gunnery stuff. 
But we also had some really cool goodbyes, and we had a retirement yesterday for Sergeant Kim Levy, and she's leaving the fighter wing staff. What a career she had working both in the Air Force, transitioned to the Navy Reserve, back to the Air Force Reserve, deployed to Afghanistan with us in 2018. Uh, her and her husband, Jim, were there, and a good send-off for Kim. And, and she, I think she had a 29-year total yep. career. Really cool to work with her for life. She did some really amazing things helping out the 442nd you know, with the Hog Group. She works with Mandy Speaker, Nikki Adams, uh, Veronica Gibson on a lot of stuff helping airmen. That team is just like definitely a servant leader. We use that term a lot, but those four oh. ladies that you just mentioned are incredible assets yeah, too. Yeah, very selfless folks. Our wing. So we're also saying goodbye. They're not retiring, but uh, Major uh, LG3 Goodwin, mm-hmm. John Goodwin is uh, last UTA. He's going to the Pentagon to work some future ace, fifth gen. He's F-35 background, has some A-10 stink on him for four years. Incredible leader. And he, he actually ran two squadrons in maintenance for about a year and then been running AMXS for the last year by himself. Mm-hmm. So he's going to the Pentagon. We'll miss him. We're having a good send-off for him uh, this afternoon. And then Captain Welsh, mm-hmm. I, I think this is his last UTA. He might do one more, but his wife is... His wife's my kid's pediatrician. Yeah. <laughs> Active duty uh, physician. Yeah, it's cool. So she's going to... Um, Charleston, right? Charleston, South mm-hmm. Carolina. Yeah. So uh, they're going to move there and he's looking... I think he's got a TR job down at Moody and then he's going to get us look for a straight civilian job down there keep serving. So that's good stuff. A couple things, other things I want to mention is uh, our yellow ribbon job that one thing about making chief, he can't stay in that job. So that job that Eric Harris is in and the DTNF job are going to both come open here in the next couple of months. So if you're out there listening and you want to apply for either of those jobs, it's, they're not AGR jobs, but they're two years of orders of right. 727 or RPA mandate money. Uh, so it's a good way to increase your military retirement alongside your art retirement. Or if you're a reservist and you want to do that for a couple of years, uh, Chief Barian's going to kind of run that deal to get a couple of folks hired into those positions. So. And he made it sound like the yellow ribbon job will be kind of like a senior master sergeant on the fighter wing staff doing... Yes. Um, yeah, you're, you're just, both those jobs, you know, they require some time, but when there's downtime in them, he asks those folks to, to really pitch in and help right. out with the awards program, OAY awards dinners, fighter wing commander, commander's calls, just a lot of stuff to help with. So it's really good, and, and you learn a lot about the, the wing and how the wing works by doing some of those jobs. So that's it's really good stuff. Go ahead, Shelly. Um, I know SGLI, I was asking actually Bob about that today. SGLI has changed, so now it's $500,000 and you automatically are opted into that. So I know, I think word has gotten out to most airmen, um, capital A, but log on to Mill Connect, go into your SGLI, make sure your beneficiaries are correct. Absolutely. Um, and then make sure that the money that you are wanting for your life insurance is also correct. And it yeah. was mentioned in our morning meeting yesterday that sometimes when you go into Mill Connect, it's going to show your beneficiaries as blank. The word we heard yesterday in the meeting was that that is a system error, but the beneficiaries are actually there. They're just not showing. Uh, still, it's a good idea to go in and check and make sure everything is correct. Yeah, we heard a story yesterday about a guy in another unit who had gotten divorced and then passed away, didn't change his beneficiaries, and his ex-wife got all of his SGLI benefits. So that's very important you do that. So if you if you have coverage right now uh, and you want higher coverage, it's going to automatically go up to 500. If you do nothing, 
you're still going to have coverage. It's mm-hmm. going to go up to $500,000 and you're going to see a deduction of uh, $30 plus a dollar for traumatic injury protection on your LES. So if you don't do anything and you already have it, you're good. If you have coverage but don't want to go higher, then you have to do something to not uh, get the higher increase in SGLI and pay more. If you don't have SGLI but you want to keep either the $500,000 coverage or lesser amount, you have to do something as well. Mm-hmm. You have to go into uh, your computer and get on Milk Connect, Milk Connect and change that. So, well, uh, I think at our Fighter Wing staff meeting, you said if someone doesn't have a beneficiary, you will gladly, yeah. gladly take that role yeah, and give them their information. Yeah, if any, any single <laughs> airman out there... I would love, I'm, I don't want anything bad to happen to anybody, but if you if you need a beneficiary, you know, I'm building a house up in, in Utah, and uh, I'd be glad to take that off their hands. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they it's appreciate Stephen that. It's Stephen with a P-H? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe, and like, there's 1,200 people. Brigadier maybe, maybe General a, type. Yeah, 100 people, would, uh, they'll put me as their beneficiary. <laughs> might feel lucky. I'll promise I'll give it all to charity if something happens. Just... Before you name him as your beneficiary and let him know about it, remember that he flies a gun. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Uh, I think um, tattoos, that was another big policy. Get with shirts and commanders, but it sounds like that has changed and a small neck tattoo and it sounds like some finger tattoos and hand tattoos are now authorized. Yeah, they are. It it sounds like a one inch tattoo behind your neck. So um, I got an appointment tomorrow to get one. (laughs) Uh, Can't wait. Um, is it going to be no. an A-10, <laughs> a gun? Do you uh, need a, a better picture of me, sir? So it's going to be. A, well, right. Bob and I will have a, a bet on the NCAA tournament, <laughs> and uh, if I lose, I'll get a picture of Bob's face on my neck. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, yeah, just check with your shirts uh, on the regs on that. They all know what they are. Uh, so a little more flexible for flexibility for you guys if you want a tat on your neck or your hand. Uh, there's some sure. options to do that. So Yeah, and then it is tax season, and I think Family Readiness just wanted us to let you guys know military one source is available for everyone in our wing and they will uh, do your taxes for free so check that out cool i think a future idea we have is to get sergeant woodward in here and talk about retirement and how to what to fill out for retirement mm-hmm. it's it's i was talking to general radliff who was retiring in august and he's you, you got to start six seven months in advance especially mm-hmm. for reservists there's a lot of things to do especially if you're an art with two retirements and different things and different rules so um We'll have her on and we'll, we'll get some information out to you guys on, on the retirement process and how to go about doing it so so you don't really lose out on some benefits that you've earned over your 20-year-plus career. Uh, I know we were talking a little bit about, and we'll talk a little bit more about TRICARE when, when our guests come on, but how important it is to know how to get TRICARE and what types of TRICARE and then also how important it is for, if anything happens to you on a deployment physically, how important it is for you guys out there to make sure that's in your service records. Make sure you're telling uh, absolutely on uh, your pre or post deployment medical deal. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get that into your to, into your records because uh, you never know what's going to happen to you health wise. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know active duty. It's really easy to um, encompass all of those changes, but the reserves is just a little bit of a different beast. So we're trying to get um, the benefits. Lloyd and Harry. Lloyd and Harry. So you're saying there's a chance. I, I know. <laughs> we are just going to, I guess we'll go with, how did you hear about it? Like Colonel Leonis came up to you, right? And 
Yeah. So, so with us today is Lloyd and Harry. Um, they didn't want us to, to have their names on the podcast, which is cool because of uh, there's Russians around here and different things that they did. So we're going to have some aliases, uh, Lloyd and Harry, which brings me back to an interesting story. Back in 96, I'm a single lieutenant on the base. You are. Post-UTA, I'm over at the BX and uh, I meet this gorgeous girl befriend her a little bit, talk to her and give her a little of the nasty charm. And uh, <laughs> it kind of works. So we go out to have some drinks and dinner. Anyway, I've started kind of hanging out with this girl and uh, a couple weeks go by a month, maybe. And I get hired by TWA Airlines. So I'm going to be a big airline pilot now. That's how old I am, TWA. And I go down <laughs> to Florida to go to simulator training and I get a phone call from my director of operations, Phil Poland. So Phil, if you're listening to this, you'll, you'll remember it. His name calls him was Coke. And uh, Coke calls me up and he says, hey, Nasty, um, how long are you going to be down in Florida? And I was like, uh, three weeks, boss. I got SEM training. And uh, what do you need? And he goes, the OSI just called. And uh, they'd like to interview you when you get back. (laughs) And my heart just jumps out of my chest, you know, and I'm like... About what? Like, about what? He goes, I, I don't know. I can't tell you, but uh, call him. Give him a, a date when you're going to be back. So now I'm just for three weeks. I can't eat. What's, what's happening? So I finish my training, come back up here. I go to the OSI. I sit down, and the guy looks at me, and he goes, hey, uh, I don't want to know about your relationship with this girl, but he has a picture of her, and he goes, do you know who this girl is? Beautiful blonde-haired girl. And I'm like, absolutely I do. And he goes, um, I need to know if she's asked you about the B2 or anything about the B-2 or the A-10. And I said, oh, she did mention a lot of stuff about the B-2. In fact, she's been in a B-2 simulator several times. And Not a B-2 pilot. She didn't ask me anything about the A-10. I think she really, really liked me for who I was, <laughs> right? She wasn't trying to get information out of me. She just really fell in love with me. <laughs> True story. Anyway, we think she's a Russian spy. Her folks are from Russia. She came from California, and she's been sought after for being a Russian spy on this base in 1996. So uh, anyway, it was, it was interesting. So you never talked to her again. <laughs> never. Never. Again. I got an email from her about three years later and uh, I deleted it very quickly. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I respect your guys' uh, alias today, Lloyd and Harry. Lloyd and Harry. All right, listen, I'm going to start guys. I want to ask you guys, first of all, Tell us a little about yourselves, like how long have you been in the unit? And then we'll kind of get into the deployment that you did over in Germany, kind of how it got started. Did you volunteer? Was it a, a agile combat support deployment like normal, right? The six monsters that you do every four years, or was this a different situation? So we'll, we'll start with Lloyd. How long have you been in the unit? And uh, just give us your background. I've uh, been here since 2016 of November. That's it, huh? Come, came from active duty? Uh, no, I'm, I've been AGR since uh, 2011. And uh, I came from another base okay. here uh, for the position and, of course, the promotion. Awesome. So I've been here since 2016 and uh, got a lot of experience. Sent a lot of guys downrange to deploy on regular rotation. But uh, last year, this was a little bit different. So this was an ask from the other matchcom to support their deterrence unit. Okay. So Lloyd's, it's, he's from security forces, and those guys go do all over the place to protect bases and Air Force bases and stuff like that. So this was just a special ask for a person in security forces near FSC to go. CNCO. CNCO with the experience. How many Air support. Force Reservists did they pick? Uh, I was the first. You were the first and only one is what I, I was I the was first told. and only one until I got there. How long were you back before we kind of knew the story? When Colonel uh, Onus ran into to Lloyd at his Christmas party, and uh, he started just chatting him up about his deployment, and he told him what had happened on his deployment, and he came back to, to me the next day and was like, holy cow, I didn't um, 
I didn't know really what those guys did over there. They kind of kept it themselves when they got back, but it's a really cool story. So we got the story from them, and, and when General Ratliff was here last UTA, he, he gave each each of these guys a coin for for their trip, right? Yeah, I got back in September, September UTA, and uh, we had a Christmas party so in we November. Didn't, uh, so from September wow. to November, we didn't really know anything about uh, That's kind of bad on me, on uh, not <laughs> connecting with you better. So this um, is a good way for us to, Rio wants to connect better with our airmen. Yes, sir. And this is why we're doing this, to yes, sir. connect yeah. with folks, right? I tell people all the time, you can't lead people unless you know their story. So I want the people in this wing to know your story and my story, and I want to get to know their stories so we all kind of connect better, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And I think we've kind of alluded to it, but, you know, this is all information that is out in the public. But you deployed for the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative because that was going on right about the same time. The European Deterrence Initiative. The Deterrence Initiative. Okay. And that was being conducted in Germany. Yes. Okay. Uh, Harry, how did you get notified that you were going to go over there? Yeah, we had an email come down from the functional, and it was an immediate fill notice for three uh, senior NCOs to go over and work the logistics operations. And uh, put my name in, applied, got the endorsement from my leadership, and uh, away we went. And your background is, is, is munitions? I started out in the weapons career field. Okay. Uh, did that for 20 years, and then I switched over to munitions. What's the difference between weapons and munitions, you tell me? Uh, from the weapons portion, you know, you've got uh, your TW1s are either loading or back shop. And then the munitions side of it, you've got the, the seven different agencies that are doing everything from shipping, receiving, to inspection, to building the bombs, and then delivering them to the load crews. Okay. So so same thing. It wasn't a normal tasking. It was just the functional asking for some folks to go down and help out. Yeah. No, it wasn't normal at all. It was just... Uh, they were very undermanned over there and had been running 24-hour ops for months on end and were really in a need of some assistance. That's what a lot of people don't understand. I worked at PACAF for a bit. I know people have worked at USAFE. And when I worked at PACAF, they were in the staff, they were about 55% man. So the Reserve and Guard, used, they, they get good use out of us, and it's a good way for folks like this. Any hesitation on both your parts when word came down? Hey, I mean, that's a big deal, six months, right? Yes, sir. You go to your, you go to your, your, your married? No. Girlfriend? Yes. All right. Married? Married, yeah. Well, you go to your girlfriend, your wife. I've done it 10 times, right? Only one time in my career have I been mobilized. That was for Iraq. All my other deployments were volunteer, just like you guys, right? Yes, sir. And, and my wife's like, why, why do you keep volunteering, you know? And I'm like, well... I fly tens. I get paid to do this, and I'm not going to let my boys go, and I'm not going to go with them, right? Yes, so, what what made you two guys put your hand up and go? I, I want to go do this. For me, it was ex- experience. So I, I've never worked at uh, the MASHCOM level, so I, I wanted that experience. Good. How about yourself? You've For, deployed several times, right? Yeah, I've deployed uh, everyone with the unit since I joined in 2002. Awesome. And uh, you know, it'd been a couple of years. I was starting to get the itch. <laughs> and when this opportunity came down. I stepped next door to my flight chief. I was like, "It's literally a three-line email. What do you think?" And he's like, "We'll support you if you want to do it." So I went back and called my wife and was like, all I know is it's going to be six months. And she's like, that's what you do. That's awesome. And that's the difference. I was going to ask you guys that too, because when I went to Afghanistan and this was years ago, but it was very vague. It was like a little like, yeah, four or five lines like, hey, yeah, this is the tasking. You'll need to go to this amount of training. There's all these line remarks. These are This is everything you have to do before you go out the door. Um, but I had no idea what I was doing until I got into the theater. Sure. Speaking of everything you want to do before you go out the door, I want to just hit this and we'll get to the story. So TRICARE. When, when I'm, I'm on TRICARE Reserve Select right now, okay? When you guys get deployed, did you get your TRICARE six months before you left, or was it so short notice that you didn't? Well, I'm AGR, so 
You're right. a, you're a, you're on Tricare Prime anyway. Yes, sir. Okay, how about you? With me, I had seven days when I find out. Okay. <laughs> so for you guys out there listening, I just want to educate folks a little bit. When you get in on a deployment, my job as your wing commander is to make sure that you get your orders cut six months before you're going to leave. We usually know far in advance, this is a different situation, when you're going to get deployed. So one of the benefits you get from going on a Title 10 deployment, an order like these guys went on, or you're going to Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere else, is that you get TRICARE six months before you leave for the order and six months after you get back for reservists and arts. That's another story. Arts, we're trying to get arts TRICARE, the ability to get TRICARE as well. And that's a 2030 plan, but uh, that's why you should be part of the Reserve Organization of America because those guys lobby for stuff like TRICARE. That's how we get these benefits for reservists. So anyway... If you just come on regular orders here on base, let's say we need you out here for for six weeks to do mandates, you don't get TRICARE uh, six months prior. You get TRICARE for the length of the order, okay? But what you really have to know is when your status changes, uh, like Harry or myself, and this happened to me one time, I've, I've heard this happen several times. If you don't call TRICARE yourself and you're proactive about changing your status, I'm going on a deployment, uh, I'm going to TRICARE prompt, keep, get me out of TRICARE reserve select, but make sure I'm covered. We've had situations in this wing where uh, male or female gets a call from their spouse and they go, I'm at the emergency room and they're telling us we don't have health insurance mm-hmm. because they didn't call you. You have to be proactive. You own your own benefits. Unfortunately, you have to do this. You have to call and make sure your family's covered before you leave. And then when you get back, your status is going to change again. And you have to call TRICARE and say, I just came off a of deployment. Uh, take me off of TRICARE Prime and sign me back up for TRICARE Reserve Select. Mm-hmm. And you'll pay your $200 a month and you'll get that. So so for folks out there listening, that's a big deal. And I don't want folks not to get the benefits they deserve. So I want you to know how to do that. All right. And on that same note, you know, with a short notice deployment like this, you, you do absolutely have to take care of yourself because there wasn't any PERSCO or in process. And mm-hmm. I landed at Frankfurt at nine in the morning. I started work at 1400 that day. It wasn't wow. until I, con- I contracted COVID and went to the clinic did they tell me that I didn't have TRICARE. Seriously? Yeah, I'd already seen the doc. He said, we think we know what's wrong with you. We want you to go over to the pharmacy and get over there. And they're like, you don't exist to us. You need to go see your reserve liaison and get registered into the system and then come back here in a moment. Yeah, wow. it's usually a multi-step <laughs> process. So you got COVID over in Germany yeah. when you got there. So cool. So you, so you get over there uh, and boom, you start working 1400, yeah. uh, just building and loading uh no, the munitions and stuff? What were you doing? Originally, they put me in as the uh, functional munitions manager. Okay. And then the very next day, switched me over to a logistics operations cell. Totally outside of anything I'd ever done. Yeah. Super exciting. Uh, great team of people. They they welcome you in. They're just excited to have you in there as part of the team and giving your knowledge and experience to that team effort of moving whatever it is, whether it be lethal aid or non-lethal aid, sourcing it, getting it moved, and getting it into the customer's hands as quick as possible. So how, how long were your duty days then, like 12-hour days? Yeah, they started out as 12-hour days, seven days a week. And then there was a few lulls in there where things calmed down, but they'd pick right back up. And were, were you living on base there at Ramstein? I was, yes. Yeah. I was close. Did you get to get out and have a, a couple of uh, liters of beer or some pretzels or anything? Yeah, there was some times. Uh, Good. That's actually how I ran into this guy. We didn't know each other were there. <laughs> you didn't know each other before you, oh, you didn't know he was there? We didn't know no. each other were at that no. base. We knew each other, and we just ran into each other downtown. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Did you buy him a beer? Uh, well, they were going somewhere <laughs> different. I, I, I don't know where I was. I, maybe I was running. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. He was like, hey, I, was like, I know you. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what? <laughs> hey. That's cool. That's cool. So so you're over there and you're, you're, you're building weapons, supporting lethal aid to Ukraine, and you're doing stuff. You're just part of the fight, right? And uh, that's, that's interesting. So 
Lloyd, you get over there. Tell me about your first couple of days. My first couple of days is uh, showing up at, in the section uh, at Yusefi. So uh, I was uh, pretty much a superintendent once I got there. Of uh, My job there was a war planner. So we were planning for expeditionary bases uh, for security forces, like what the footprint is going to look Have like. Have you done any war planning before? No, it was my first time. So they sent me to they, they sent me through a training course. Yeah, usually there's like a course you go through, through to be a planner, course, right? And they say, hey, uh, the first meeting is, you know, Wednesday at 1300. So I And were like, they okay. trying to tell you how to like protect the base that they might go to? Or is that, was that what you were planning for or just other stuff? No, so, well, uh, my expertise was... Uh, uh, Outfitting the number of people that are going to be at bases based on resources. So I've done that before. I had experience in that. And they made sure that whoever they hired had that experience. I have never planned it at that level, but I, I have been sourcing defenders to go uh, to expeditionary bases. I always wonder how that happened. I went to Iraq and I go up to Talil. I've been there. Yeah, boom. And we get to Talil and... Uh you're probably there with us, right? Oh, three. Yes. And and the Marines had rolled through there. That's when we we hijacked a tank from the Marines. They left it there, and we <laughs> we we fixed it. Colonel Marks and some maintenance guys fixed it, and we put KC Hogs on it. Our, our squadron commander was the highest ranking guy on the base for a while, and we started driving this. It was a bridge building tank. We started mm-hmm. driving it around and moving dirt and doing stuff with it and just having a ball. Right. The the group commander when he got up there about a month later he didn't really like us driving the tank around <laughs> kuda came screaming by in it and he goes what what is this anyway that base i got up there i'm like who's who's protecting us here right like i was kind of nervous they just had a big battle there in fallujah or not fallujah but uh uh Anazaria, mm-hmm. uh where that jessica lynch got uh got taken there and um they said well the air force has got a mile outside the base and then the army had, was still there and they protected the three mile radius of the base so it was a combination of the two and sure. uh, I was just interested about how they would plan that so that's the kind of stuff you were doing huh? yes sir good so you get there and you start planning yes then all of a sudden uh, uh, they come upstairs and they say hey we need somebody to go to Romania for 30 days and uh, the active duty guy they had couldn't go for whatever reason uh, one thing I did do right before I left is I made my orders variations authorized so I could travel good yeah and you always uh, get on the space A list for as a pilot so you can ride in the, any airplane right so you get your name on a piece of paper so you can go anywhere yes sir so that's how we got to Germany after I Afghanistan. Because I made my orders that way, I was able to go. And uh, I got the notification that it was going to be me about eight o'clock that morning. Uh, So I had to go get NATO orders and I had to make sure my orders were good for me to go to Romania within 24 hours. So that next day I left at 1300. By yourself or with who? I was by myself. Well, no, it was me. It was me and another uh, LRO. Cool. So she was she was logistics and I was the defender. Beast. She's an L R O right no. there. <laughs> that would have been cool. So Harry's procuring, building all these lethal aid, and your job's gonna go to to go to Romania and figure out how to deliver the lethal aid. Correct. Correct. All right. Interesting, man. Two reservists from the 442nd put their hands in the air. They don't know what's gonna happen, and now they're in the middle of this. So you get to Romania. Uh, what's next? Uh, so we flew with the first lethal aid. And as uh, soon as we got off the plane. C-17, C-130? C-130, we drove it that night. So we had to get off the plane, switch clothes, civilian clothes. So you fly to Romania on uh, C-130, switch, go to civilian clothes? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, we were met by uh, ODC Army uh, officers. Yep. And they were saying, hey. In civilian clothes. You guys are, you need to change, you're coming with us. <laughs> and that, that was the first trip. Okay. And uh, 
uh, we went to, we finished that trip. It was a long drive. Uh, then we went back to the Ministry of Defense. The so first convoy. That was a convoy, correct? Yes. And and, and uh, ODC folks helped help kind of. That was the test run. Test run. With that, that was the test run to see if kinda it could be done. Checking you out to see if you could do it. And, yes, sir. And they're going to hand it off to you. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what ODC stands for. Do you? Uh, offense, Office of Defense Council, I think. Okay. I think that's what it stands for. Cool. So you do your test run, it goes well. Do the test run. Next morning, we meet with that lieutenant colonel. Uh, we have a meeting, and he's talking to you, Sarah, on the phone, and we're there. Uh, the commander there says, hey, we're doing this. It's non-negotiable, and uh, your, your two liaisons have to fig- figure it out. Your your defender LNO and your LRO have to figure it out. So the ODC guys left. Yeah, they were hands off. Yep, and they said you got it. They they said, hey, we're gonna set you up a coordination cell upstairs on the top floor, and uh, you guys will get whatever you want from the Ministry of Defense in Romania. Yes. Interesting. Wow. So back to you, Harry. He's doing this. You're back there. A little bit of lull, a little bit of stuff, uh, different different kinds of lethal aid coming in or or, of, or asking of, for different stuff. What, what, were, what were you going through then? Well, a lot of the PDA is what they were, uh, presidential drawdown authority. Yep. You know, everything would start shifting around and make it through the wickets. Then we'd finally get, we'd usually get about a week's heads up of this is what we think is going to be on it. So we would start trying to source it and figure out where we had stuff that we could get. But then when it would come down, it would be signed, this is the numbers, this is the stuff, by the branches of service. In the beginning, it was really, really short deadlines, like signing plus three days, signing plus seven days. And how is that? We all know in the Air Force, nothing, airlift doesn't move like that. No. And it was all being airlifted from the U.S. to Germany? or It was being airlifted from anywhere that we could source it from. It was a global effort across all the major commands. Interesting. I always tell people, like, I mean, you guys get called seven days later, you're gone. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. You got to be trained and you got to be ready to, to be um, innovative and to do other things, right? That's what we're asking. You guys kind of went over there and did stuff that you weren't really trained for. And when we talk about multi capable airmen, that's kind of what we're talking about to get our airmen to, to buy in on, right? To be able to do different things and just lead uh, in a situation where you're, you're thrust into. I was flying on 9 11 on a Delta flight and, uh, I had to land in Raleigh-Durham because the air traffic controllers were like, you're going to land now. We're, I think we're going up to Washington, D.C. from Atlanta. And uh, there's like 50 airplanes there. And I get down to the ramp. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, man, the airplane crashed in New York into the building. And I walked into their TV and I saw the second airplane go into the building. And I was like, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. And, and then uh, my wife was pregnant with my daughter and we're like, like six months later, we're going to Afghanistan. Right. Mm-hmm. So on a, on a, on a dime and it can switch. So, yes, so, you're, so you're in Romania, you've done one test run, uh, you and the LRO are upstairs setting up your cell and, uh, what happens next? We pulled out a notepad and, uh, we kind of planned what the next one is going to look like. Uh, they didn't want, uh, military vehicles. So they, they wanted a contracted option. So we had to figure out the contracted option and how to move with contracted trucks. And we figured out it took us about eight days, and uh, that's when we realized, like, she needed eyes on the ground, and uh, I, I got sent to a different location to be the eyes on the ground and control those convoys. 
Chiefs have a credit card to start paying for some civilian trucks and all. How they how they get the money? So they, they the a contractor sourced them through Yusefi. Okay, so he just got them from Romania. Uh, it was a it was a it was a company from yeah, from yeah. the states, but they were they were Romanian drivers. It was like Hertz rental car, U haul. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Romanian drivers. They were Romanian drivers. Wow, so that's a lot of trust to put in these guys, and you're kind of leading leading the convoys with guys you don't know, Romanian drivers oh. that speak English. No, I had an interpreter. A Romanian interpreter. Yes. Okay, so tell me about the second convoy. Uh, so the second convoy, uh, ODC, the Army ODC had a, uh, a, a army unit down at MK that wasn't doing much, and they had Blackhawks. So the drive was long, and uh, they didn't want me to drive long and go on this long convoy. So uh, the ODC called the Blackhawk unit down at MK, and they pretty much picked us up i had a black hawk that was assigned to me and the interpreter <laughs> one can dream to, so yeah to go there and back so here's a he's a big old smile on his face and they can't see us but here's a senior master yeah. sergeant gets thrown into germany kicked over to romania and now the army gives him a helicopter and says this is yours with an interpreter go go do some stuff that's awesome yes, that's sir. so cool we were just trying to figure out how to get me there and the lieutenant colonel said, hey, I got an idea. Let me call the Black Hawk unit down at MK. He said, they're not doing anything. And I'm sure they want to support PDA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he made the call and it was, oh, yeah, for sure. We'll do it. That's, that's awesome. Really, that's really cool. Were you nervous? Have you ever been on a helicopter before? That was my first time. So I wow. was nervous. And first you, time. Both these guys, you just got to go on with a UH-60? Yes. Uh, Black Hawk. Uh, last UTA, they, with top performers and stuff, got to go down to Cannon Range on a Black Hawk with the Army Guard here, the Missouri Army Guard, and go down and watch some A-10 strafe and shoot. You were on General Radliff's helicopter, right? Yes, sir. Uh, how was that? That was a blast. Did you have fun? That was a good time. That was a good time. Good. Have you ever seen the A-10 shoot in person or no? Uh, one other time. One other time. How about you? That was my first time. Pretty, pretty cool. The gun's pretty loud, huh? Yes, sir. Good. And how Jim Radliff asked you guys some questions on the way down, or was he pretty quiet? Uh, he was up front on the way down, so it was pretty quiet. <laughs> Did they let him fly up front, up front, or? We were in the back facing each other, and he was up next like to in the, the jump seat or yeah. something. Cool. Well, I'm speaking of that, I want to keep doing that for our wing. So yeah. uh, we're going to try to build a relationship with those folks and get some other award winners in our wing and, and, and top performers. Uh, the opportunity to do that, plus tanker flights mm-hmm. uh, that we did a, a couple months ago. Uh, we can get civilians on those. We can't get civilians on the helicopter, though, because of the Army thing. But um, try to take care of some of the civilian folks that work in our organization, too. I know my Secretary, Rachel Wesley, got to uh, to ride on the tanker, and yeah. she's been here forever, right? And she's like, damn, that was the first time I got to do that. And I'm like, that's really cool. So, all right. So in your helicopter, you fly down to base X. Yes, we get to base X. Uh, I get to bed down because we're not we're not rolling out until that that night. Yep. What does bed down mean? Are you like tent tent? Uh, it was it was a type of thing. they had barracks there. Okay. Uh, good, good good food. Good beds. Food was decent. It was like an army FOB or something forward operating base or what? We had to set up a, a an APOT before all of this happened. So there was a a contingency response team that set all that up. So they had food barracks. All that ready to go. That's cool. Did you have any training prior to work with an interpreter? Was that your first time? Uh, I've worked with interpreters in Iraq before, so I'm, I'm familiar with it, but that, it wasn't one that, that was directly assigned to me. So that, that was definitely the first time. Was that relationship good? It was. Uh, it was It was actually an Army interpreter oh, okay. that worked at ODC. Still keep in contact with them? Through group me. I used to. For a while, yeah. Uh, uh, after I got back, uh, we, we were keeping touch through the lieutenant colonel, and uh, Audie was her name. 
Say the lieutenant colonel interpreter. Oh, lieutenant colonel wasn't the interpreter. She was uh, enlisted. Oh, okay. Like a linguist. Yes. Good. Okay. So you were telling uh, me before, I think, like some nights they would call you and just give you a GPS coordinates to meet at. Kind of some weird stuff, right? Is that how you met with these folks? How was telling you when and where to... to well, well we, we knew where to go. So it, w- it was the same trip that we went the first night. So we knew where we were going, uh, but we just had to set up checkpoints along the way. So MOD would know where we were. Who's MOD? M- Ministry of Defense. So that, oh. co- that coordination cell that we set up, Romania. they were tracking them from MOD. Okay. And I was the, the person on ground letting them know how it was going. Interesting. Okay. So how, many, how long were you there? Uh, I was in Romania for 30 days. Uh, we did, I did the trips for eight days before I went back to MOD. So you did total how many convoys? Uh, we did 22 total. 22. While I was there. Awesome. And when did you have to give the keys back to your Blackhawk? When they brought me back to MOD, then it was, it was all over. You, <laughs> you didn't get to take it to Germany to go down? No, to no, sir. The Bur- no, Burkish Garden didn't. or the... the Eagle's Nest and just tore Germany in your helicopter? No, no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> Good. So, so you were only there. So out of the six months, you, you spent about a month and a half of it in Romania. Huh? Yes, sir. All right. So you're back in, in, in Germany, Harry, and um, the pace stayed the same your entire six-month deployment, or was it kind of ebb and flowing? There was about a two-week lull. Other uh-huh. than that, it was pretty steady all the way through. The PDAs uh, originally were coming down like every two weeks, but they were pretty large. And then it started getting to be where they're every week. Yeah. You know, some of the biggest struggles with that is, you know, you get this great document from the top that says, this is what the Air Force is doing. This is what the Marines do and the Army. And each one has their priority one. But then when it comes to us, when we're doing the logistics movement of this and sourcing of it, every service treats their priority one as the number one. So there was a lot of back and forth trying to get some clarifications from the sec def of we really need this to come down through the chain as a group priority one all the way down so that we can get this airlift moving, you know, in a, a smart direction. Sure. Wow. On, on your crew that you worked with, makeup-wise, what? how many reservists were there? How many guard guys? How many active guys? For the job that I was doing, I was the only reservist. There okay. were two guard guys that were also doing the same thing in conglomeration uh, with me. Um, my night shift counterpart was guard. Uh-huh. He was handed off the keys each day. And, you know, as things kind of, the planning phases kind of went, it really became him and I just working together. Because if you took a day off, you were a week behind the information of what was going on. You, you had to have that daily back and forth. That's what I was going to ask you. Did you get any leave or any time off in six months or what? what, what? Yeah, I worked for a, a phenomenal lieutenant colonel, and she came up to me about halfway through, and she's like, look, I want you to start leaving for lunch, even if you just go out in the parking lot and see the sun. And there are certain days where she'd come in and see me at work, and she'd bring me some food, and then she'd be like, all right, you are ordered not to come to work tomorrow until at least a certain time, because I know you're not going to listen to me if I tell you to take the whole day off. That's awesome. But uh, no, it was great leadership that I worked for over there. It, was, it, was, it became a, a really tight-knit family. She, was she a logistics officer? She was. She was a logistics officer. We're the best. Absolutely. <laughs> I guess I really can't claim it anymore, but I'll still try. <laughs> you said that uh, some of the folks you dropped the weapons off to and a couple of your last convoys had said to you that Kiev would not be mm-hmm. uh, where it was without your help, correct? Yes. What did they, they say to you? 
Uh, well, they said it to the interpreter, and the <laughs> interpreter told me that that that's what, what the, he said. What, what the but it was kind of like Godspeed, you know. Thank you for what you're doing. You're, you're saving us, or you're helping us. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much what it was. That's really cool. It's amazing to me. Real that, gratitude, right? Yeah, I've, I live in gratitude. Yes, sir. I, and I, I, my my wife uh, and some of my friends tell me that like every night before you go to bed, you should go, "Hey, uh, what are five things I'm grateful for?" Right. Instead of being pissed off when you go to bed or whatever, uh, if you live in gratitude, then the next day you get a better attitude. Yes, so um, that's really cool. I, I think both of you, man, uh, when I look at the conflict that's going on over there, you guys played a big part in keeping those folks free and uh, keeping them fighting. So thank you for what you did, not only for uh, the 442nd, the Air Force Reserves, but the United States and then the folks of Ukraine. Yes, sir. You guys made a difference. Yes, sir. Uh, Thank you. Your story is really cool. Yes, sir. All right. That's awesome. You represented the reserves in the 442nd in such a manner. A lot of times, you know, every time I've been on deployment, you know, the active duty is like, wow, you guys are impressive with your experience and, and all that stuff. But I've, there's been situations where I followed other units in where it hadn't been the case, where the reserves of the guard kind of not embarrassed themselves, but not not perform like they probably should have right and that that to do what you guys did uh gives a really good reputation for not only our wing but for the air force reserves and that's kind of what we're fighting for right when i hear from active duty two stars and three stars and four stars and they say hey well you guys aren't really accessible to combatant commanders uh, and i'm like the, the hell we aren't like we, we've deployed 10 times as a as a wing in the last 20 years to afghanistan and iraq and every time we've done really well and stories like like yours and yours uh, just kind of that shows that light that, hey, these guys are true citizen soldiers. And if you put them in, in any position with their experience and expertise and leadership and can-do attitude, they can go out and do a job just as good or maybe even better than an active duty counterpart. Oh, absolutely. Yes, you know, a lot of people kind of forgot about the poor kid, but last time we were deployed to Afghanistan, one of the age troops here from the wing volunteered to go over to Germany for six months, and he stayed over there two years. I ran into him when I was there. Two years? Yeah. They loved him. They kept offering him to extend and he did a full two years and i ran into a couple other members of the wing that were getting there just as i was leaving yeah so so for a lot of you airmen out there i i I, I wasn't aware of this either when I was younger, right? And I, probably they always told me a good reason to do staff jobs is to learn. I, I worked at the J-35 in Norfolk, learned how they, they do a secretary of defense book and how orders get run and how they mobilize folks and stuff like that. And then when I worked at PACAF, I kind of got the flavor through the reserve advisor and different people that worked at PACAF and USAFE, how shorthanded they are and how they need us, right? So for you guys out there, there's a lot of opportunity to go on MPA and to go do stuff like Lloyd and Harry did, both in PACAF and USAFE and CENTCOM. So if you're interested in doing that kind of stuff to get some experience, some stories, talk to your commanders, talk to me, and we'll, we'll find a situation where we can fit you in with your skill level to go do something like these guys did. Yes, sir. It's cool. Yeah, that's really neat. Uh, so you get back from the trip, good good reunion with the family and stuff? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yes, your sir. girlfriend? Yes, sir. Uh, anything the wing here could have done better to, to kind of reacclimate you to to here uh, as far as like post-deployment stuff, medical questionnaires? Like I said before, it's very important to, if anything happens to you on a deployment medically, is to get that into your service records uh, when, when you're doing a post-deployment health questionnaire. Yeah, even something like you, you tear your knee or you sprain your ankle or, or whatever, right? You're working in a, a, by burn pits, which uh, Harry and I did several times, right? It's it's important, I think, to get that stuff in your in your records. And I think it's important for airmen out there that have never deployed to know that, right? When you come back from a trip, if something happened to you overseas, uh, get that into your service records. Yes, sir. 
but what could what could we have done better as a wing when, when you got back? Oh, well, Besides for, ask you what the hell you did. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, well, well, for me, it, it, since I'm AGR, it was, it was kind of easier for me. But uh, I know I know some of my troops. The the issue we always have is is doing everything at once as a group. A lot of times we send onesie twosies to medical to get it get it situated or get reacclimated. But if You're we could do it own. as a as a group, yeah, I think it'd be better. You know the integration coming back. You know it's the process is there and it all works. You know probably the thing that and it's not even related to reintegration on the military side. It's just more the family side. You know, I've been doing this 30 years, and I never missed a deployment the whole time I was active duty. I've been on every one of them with the unit since I've been here. I got five kids, and it wasn't until these last couple of deployments that it really dawned on me that I thought my kids had been through this so much it wouldn't be a big deal. The older they are, the harder they take the separation and the deployment. How old are your kids? Oh, right now, they range from 27 to 16. I've got two boys that are both active duty Air Force and then a daughter who's a school teacher, four grandkids. That's awesome. So, but, you know, you know, just for the people, just because your kids have been through it several times when they're small, you know, doesn't mean that they're going to react anywhere near the same when they become them preteens and teens. No, it was hard. I agree. It was harder when my kids were really little. It was painful for me to, to leave. I tell a story about uh, my wife being on the flight line and pregnant, and I was leaving for a year, and uh, I was like, this is terrible. But then when my kids got older and saying goodbye to them and six, seven, eight, you know, and they're starting crying and that, that's terrible. But when they get really older and then you know, t- you, that's when they need a dad when they're 16, 17 years old. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they always need a dad, but um, no, that's true. But, you know, if you don't keep that in mind, you know, they'll, they'll find those negative people to yes. fill that void. They will. Did you do Operation Pillowcase over the years when you yeah. left? Yeah. That, we actually still have those yeah. uh, packed away. Something that. Uh, so do we. Yeah, Liz and. Uh, We'll have them in uh, someday along with the retirement speech, but the Airman Family Red Inn is here. Uh, Liz Rutherford just does a, g- a really good job of taking care of the folks for our wing, when they, both when they deploy and when they when they uh, are here. And our key spouses do a good job. We're going to have some of them in, too, to interview them, talk about the key mm-hmm. spouse, spouse program as well. You know, you asked if there's one thing the wing could do better. That's That would probably be my recommendation. Mm-hmm. What's that? When we deploy together, we all talk about key spouses and we do all that. But when you do what they consider a long TDY, nobody's tracking your family. Good. So, and, and that's so good. I, if and you're I, not doing it, nobody is. I talked to Chief Ojordo's wife last night about it, and she actually said that to me. I said, I want to have you in on the podcast and uh, talk about what you guys do when we deploy. And she goes, we want to talk about stuff that we do when you don't deploy. And I was Aww. like, that's really cool. Boy, we have some good key spouses right now. Cheryl Roberts and Ojordo and your sack, Colonel Randy Roberts' wife, Sherry, I believe is her name. Awesome group of, of key spouses. They were on the tanker flight. So uh, that's good. That's good. Good words. This is why we do this. So I want to hear what we can do better from guys like you guys. Yes, sir. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, Lloyd and Harry and uh, and Bob. Again, thanks for the work. We'll see you guys next time. My next one's going to be good. I think I'm going to get the Oryx in here. Yay. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if I can convince Chevy to come on in to the podcast. We might have to have a couple of cocktails with her to get her to, to unload her <laughs> stories. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. 